Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537 is the voicemail number. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter is the is a Twitter handle. And you can leave a review for us on Podchaser. I don't know why I say us. It's me. It's me, y'all. It's me. Niggas, it's me. I'm doing this all by myself. Stand alone. Up tall. By myself. You ready to go night-night? Also, my beloved wife, Nisha. So I guess it's not just me. It's us. I was right. I apologize. By myself. Like a man. Taking credit. Taking responsibility. You still want to go night-night? Because I'm sleepy. In the last episode, uh, Horson got fucked. Not literally. By Tony and... uh, Tony and Boots, and he gonna get out soon, and it's gonna be the big payback. I always felt like the big payback was like the number one song in the '70s made for pimps who had just lost their uh, sex worker. The big payback, you know. I don't know. I don't think James Brown was involved with it, but I mean, he was smoking crack, so snorting cocaine, smoking weed. What was he doing? Drugs, drugs, drugs. Chapter nineteen. My return to the free world was uneventful. No one really cared whether I came home or not. Big Mama was dead, and I didn't have anything in common with Tony since he plucked off my woman. In fact, I made it a point to stay out of their way. I didn't know how I'd react if I ran up on boots, so I kept my distance. The streets hadn't changed that much. There was a new group of young pimps hanging around on the corners, but besides that, it seemed as if the clock had stood still. My first stop had been at the bank where the lawyer deposited my money. I withdrew it and made a beeline for the nearest Cadillac dealer. I put $4,000 down on a new caddy. Okay, this is me. Big Mama died, rest in peace, and she gave him, in her will, $5,000. He was in jail for six years, so he couldn't spend said $5,000. As soon as he gets out of jail, the first thing he does is spends $4,000 on a Cadillac. The last thousand will be used throwing some D's on that bitch. If y'all haven't heard Rich Boy, I can't help you. Since I didn't have any credit, I had to pay cash, but it didn't make any difference. When I left prison, oh, well, never mind then. He had close to $3,000 in his account, and with the five grand Big Mama gave him, that left him with $8,000, and then he just spent $4,000 on a new Cadillac, so he has $4,000 left, which in the 50s, hold on one second, holy hot fucking shit, adjusted for inflation, $5,000 in 1950 is equal to $55,185 in 2021, motherfucker. God dog it. You know what? Pimp on, brother. Pimp on. I still had enough to get a few rags to wear. Tony had my jewelry, and I was on my way to get my diamonds from him without any static. I spoke to the car dealer. How about letting me use one of these old junks so my car is delivered? He shook his head. I don't think I could do that. If you had an accident or something, we'd be in one hell of a fix here. 
I pulled out my bankroll and peeled off a $50 bill. Do you think that'll cover your problem until my car's delivered? He pocketed the bill and called one of the colored men working on a lot and had him put a dealer's plate on one of the older cars. I drove off the lot and headed downtown. After getting my license straightened out, I stopped at a clothing store and bought a few outfits. Dusk was just falling when I turned on the Hastings. Tony had moved all his girls down to the lower end of the street because of his misunderstanding with Big Mama. And after her death, he was too settled where he was to move back to the neighborhood we had been raised in. Since I didn't know where he lived, I pulled up in front of six girls working in the doorway to inquire as to his whereabouts. Five of them rushed up to the car. They all wore short skirts and their faces were heavily painted. Hi, honey, the leader of the group yelled. Which one of us do you want to see? The leader was a large woman with an abundance of everything. You could look at her and see she must have been cute before she allowed herself to gain so much weight. Now that she was going to fat, it was hard to discover anything attractive about her. But when she smiled, showing the tip of her tongue at the corner of her mouth, there was the promise of sweet sensuality and exorbitant delight. There hadn't been the slightest thought in my mind of playing stuff, but since she had hit on me, I decided to teach her a lesson. Yeah, baby, why don't you sit down for a minute? Maybe you and me can reach some kind of agreement. She tossed a wicked look over her shoulder at her friends, as though to tell them she had just pulled off a grand coup. Her attitude was one of authority. You could tell she was under the impression that she was the leader of the hen house. I drove around the corner and parked. What's your name, honey? I asked softly. Most of my dates just call me Ruby, sweetie. Appearances could really be deceiving. This bitch really thought I was a mark. I want to talk to you for a few moments, Ruby, I said while pulling my huge bankroll out. I scanned through the money for a second, then found a $10 bill and put it in her lap. Her eyes had got big as a dinner plate at the sight of my bankroll. Sure, sweetie. As long as you got the price, I got the time, she capped, trying to control the greed in her voice. Assuming an air of embarrassment, I put the little game into action. Ruby... I don't know how to ask you this, but, uh, I, uh, I want you to teach me how to pimp. That really caught the bitch unprepared. She stared at me with her eyes wide and her mouth flapping like a caught fish. I continued before she had time to speak. What I mean is, I'll pay you to show me how to dress like a pimp, act like one, and really carry myself like one. I rushed on. You ain't got to worry about getting paid, because my daddy died and left me $25,000. I'm going to buy me a Cadillac as soon as I get the rest of the money. I pulled the bankroll back out. As you can see, I got 5000 of it now. I flashed six $100 bills at her. Beyond a doubt, the bitch was hooked. She just stared at me dumbfounded. You don't think you'll have any difficulty teaching me what I want to know, do you, Ruby? She shook her head. Ain't no trouble in teaching you, but, I mean, you ain't bullshitting about this, are you? This ain't some kind of joke you call yourself having on me, is it? Is that money in your lap a joke? I asked. Again, she shook her head. You mean you don't want to go to no hotel or nothing like that? Absolutely not, young lady. Pimps don't go to bed with the woman the first time they meet her, do they? For a minute, I began to think I was laying it on a bit too thick. She stared at me as though I was losing my goddamn mind. That's right, honey. You don't want to go to bed with me if you want to be a pimp. They don't hop in and out of bed with every woman they meet the way a square would do. It hadn't taken her long to catch on to the way the trend was going. She rumbled around her pocketbook and came out with a pencil and a small notebook. She had come to the conclusion that I was some kind of nut and decided to play on me for a $10 bill I had given her. I didn't want her to give me the wrong number, so I aroused her greed. Peeling off a $5 bill, I put it in her lap. You make sure I can get in touch with you now, Ruby, because I want you to help me pick out my Cadillac and clothes. Plus, I'm going to pay you real well when I get the rest of my money sometime this month. The thought of playing me out of that money had become so exciting to her that she could hardly breathe. When she tried to speak, her words came out in blurts. Her features lacked any compassion. To her, I was the once-in-a-lifetime trick. I stared at her in amusement. This big, out-of-shape, cow-like bitch really believed she would end up beating me out of some money. 
After I took the address she had written out, she staggered away from the car as though she was drunk. At no time during my conversation had she even asked for my name. I pulled away from the curb full of confidence. This is one bitch that was getting ready to get faked completely out of her whore boots. Now my immediate problem was to find Tony so I could get my diamonds. I drove slowly back up Hastings examining various faces in the late model cars I passed. The neighborhood hadn't changed much, unless it was even more decrepit than before I left. For the first time in my life, I didn't feel as if I was coming home. I could look at the swords of poverty and truly understand the meaning of slum life, the filthy streets, the wineheads sitting in doorways, the horrible shacks some unfortunate souls called home. I realized that there had to be something better in life for me. On the opposite corner, I saw a blood-red Cadillac parked at the curb. I pulled over and found a parking place. I had got the wire in prison that Tony owned a red caddy, and I didn't think there were that many red Cadillacs on this side of town. I stopped in two restaurants first, without any luck, then crossed the street and entered Ed's bar. Just about the first thing I saw was Tony sitting at a table with two white girls. He saw me and waved a hand in my direction. I walked slowly over to his table. Horson, I heard you was out, baby. How come you didn't look me up so I can give you a coming home party? The people in the bar had become as silent as students in the deaf and dumb school. I stared around at some of the familiar faces. Horror sat on bar stools staring at us curiously, while behind the bar the white owner watched us closely for trouble. The cracked bar mirror revealed alcohol-flushed faces waiting in anticipation. I stared coldly at Tony. The only thing I want you to give me, nigga, is what you got that belongs to me. For a moment, he didn't quite understand what I was talking about. He stared around undecided for a second, then his face brightened. Oh yeah, you mean your jewelry, don't you? His voice taken on a chilling note. His two girls stared at us with frightened eyes. There was no doubt about it. If I pushed it, Tony wouldn't back up an inch. He would meet me on any terms I wanted. I knew in my heart that all I had to do was pull up a chair and we could resume our friendship as though nothing had happened. I wanted to, for a fact, but something inside me wouldn't allow me to bend and grasp the outstretched hand of friendship. Again, he tried to bridge the gap between us. Removing my watch from his arm, he spoke quietly. Dig, Horson. Ain't no whore in the world worth the friendship between two men. He slid the watch across the table at me. If you think I'm bullshitting, dig this. I've had these two whores with me for the last two days looking for you. These are two of the best whores in my stable, Horson, and you can have either one of them you want. She's yours, man. I'll send her clothes over to your joint if you just say the word. Plus, you could take her on with you. Both women started to complain, but he silenced them immediately. He removed my ring and shoved it across the table at me. I stared at the women. One was a blonde, while the other had dyed her hair bright red. Both were still in their early twenties. From his point of view, he probably thought he was offering me a damn good substitute for boots. But when I looked at the two pale-faced white girls, I knew that neither one of them could ever take the place of the black queen he had taken from me. I shook my head, rejecting the offer. Even if he had offered boots, I would have turned it down. What goes around comes around, Tony, I said, slipping my ring on. I just hope you can recognize game when it comes your way. Now, I'm thinking about this. And in Tony's defense, maybe he was just... Nah, because Boots could have gotten money on her own while Tony was while while Horson was locked up. She could have just been independent. So, no, never mind. I tried. It didn't work. He sighed, deep and slowly. My open refusal of his offer had hurt him. One of his white girls, the blonde, had been watching me closely. She gave me the impression that if I had chosen her, she wouldn't have objected to the trade. I turned on my heel and walked away. I hadn't had a woman since I'd been home, and it had been well over six years since I had slept with one, so I didn't want my weakness to show. The women he had offered were very beautiful, not tramps. It wasn't hard to believe him when he said they were the best of his stable. My conscience was starting to act up. 
Should I have accepted his offer of renewing our friendship? I couldn't see where it benefited me to ruin our relationship, but my pride had been hurt. I meant to repay Tony for what he did, whether I was right or wrong. Some way, somehow, the day would come when he would experience payback. As I crossed the street, I could hear the sound of high heel shoes running behind me. When I got to the car door, she caught up with me. I looked over my shoulder at the fine blonde. She smiled up at me. She was small, with large legs. Her skin was smooth, milky white with no blemishes. Hi, honey. I hope you don't mind me following you. It was my idea, not Tony's. I didn't appreciate the way you rejected me in the damn bar. So I asked Tony if it would be alright if I came out here with you. That's all you want to do? I asked coldly. Is come out here in the streets and watch me drive away? Her laughter rang out merrily. She was the first woman I had heard laugh in quite a while. The sound was more pleasing than I could have anticipated. After a man's been locked up for a long time, he appreciates the small things a woman does. Things that he probably wouldn't have noticed before. No, Horson. I want to do a little more than watch you drive away. But it's your decision. It was too much temptation. She was too attractive for me to just walk away from. I held the car door open. She climbed in from the driver's side, and her skirt rose above her thighs as she slid across the seat. Words would fail me if I tried to explain how I gaped at those big, pretty thighs. How can I describe how a man feels after being away from something so long, to have it laid out on a platter for him? My first stop after pulling away from the curb was a drugstore. After purchasing a fifth of whiskey, my next stop was a motel I had been staying at. We undressed slowly, sipping on the whiskey and smoking up some refried stash around the room. Whether or not it was the alcohol, I don't know. But as we drank, I began to turn mean. She had told me her name was Anne, but the more I drank, the more I began to call her Jerry. At the beginning, I hadn't meant to abuse her. Each drink I took convinced me that it was my right to dog her. After we had relations, a brutal idea began to grow in my mind. She lay there beside me nude, on her stomach. I rolled over on top of her and she started to squirm. Not so soon, Horson. Damn, you'll wear me out at this pace. Shut up, bitch, I said. I'm getting ready to teach you something new. Uh-uh, she said. Ain't nothing new about doing it like that, and it hurts besides. She began to try and squirm from under me, but I had all my weight on top of her, and she was still on her stomach. Using my feet, I put them between her legs and began to spread them open. Hastily, I fumbled around until I got the spot I wanted. With my finger as a guide, I pushed deeply into her rectum. Her scream shattered the stillness of the room, but it didn't interfere with the act of violence I was committing on her body. Taking a towel from off the backboard of the bed, I wrapped it around her head, covering her mouth, then continued to force my desire on her helpless body. She cried and moaned, but the towels muffled her attempts to call for help. With each succeeding lawless act I forced on her, I moved that much closer to the edge of madness. For the next three days, I kept her with me, not allowing her out of my sight. The only place she went to was the toilet, then back to bed. When we got hungry, I called out and had food delivered. Whenever somebody knocked on the door, I made her go into the shower and turn the water on. At times when I was raping her, I could hardly recognize my own voice, cursing and muttering incoherently. On a rare occasion, I would commit a normal act of intercourse with her, but my preference was for the abnormal. When the morning came that I was tired of her, or rather, returned to sanity, she was a poor specimen of the opposite sex. Her face was tear-stained from constant crying, while her body was a mass of blue bruises. Discoloration had set in around her nipples from my treatment. When she realized that I was really going to let her go, she jumped into her clothes. She waited until she was standing in the open doorway before speaking. You dirty son of a bitch, she snarled. You ain't no man. You're an animal and a dog at that, you bastard, you. There was nothing attractive about her face now. Fatigue and hate had distorted her features into a mask of hatred. Without makeup, there was nothing left of the cute blonde I'd entered the motel with. Her face was a blueprint of hell. 
My booming laughter beat at her in the empty doorway. When you see your man, bitch, tell him my only regret was that I fucked you in the ass instead of him. Tell him not to worry, though, because he's got his coming. Before she could slam the door, I added, Don't go away mad, bitch. Just go away. She slammed the door so hard I thought for a moment the glass would break. After that, the room became silent as a tomb. I found my wallet and pulled Ruby's phone number out. He was another smart bitch that had a hell of a sunrise coming her way. I understand the frustration. A white girl that he had never seen before who was brought to him by Boots. Damn, I wonder if that was a setup, but it probably wasn't because she went to jail too. But a white girl he had never seen before caused the downfall of his entire enterprise for six years. But dude, seriously? Oh no. I just... There's other ways to get revenge on Tony. And I know that you saw Jerry in this woman, but... Chapter 20. The phone by the side of the bed began to ring. I rolled over and sat up slowly. My head was throbbing from too much liquor and too many pills. Those red devils I had been taking gave me violent headaches the following morning. For a brief moment, I held my head between my hands, then glanced around for my temporary bed partner. The bed was empty. She had departed sometime that morning without my knowledge. Damn, I swore. It was no surprise she was gone. I began to remember flashes of my behavior. No wonder she left at the first opportunity she got. I was beginning to develop an obsession. Some people were hooked on drugs. Others had alcohol to worry about. My problem was starting to be an obsession to commit sodomy. I knew I had developed a desire while spending those six celibate years in a prison without a woman, but it was one problem I was going to have to overcome. The shrill ringing of the telephone ended my brief attempt to analyze my strange preference. Hi, Ruby, I said into the receiver. No, woman. I wasn't lying when I told you today was the day to pick up my Cadillac. What? I was supposed to call you at 2 o'clock. What time is it now? Damn, Ruby. I just overslept. I'll pick you up on the corner of Hancock and Woodward. Give me about 20 minutes to get dressed. As an afterthought, I added, Don't forget... I'm going to take you downtown and get you a hell of a new coat today. I hung up, then took a quick shower. After that, I proceeded to dress with leisure. I knew she would be waiting because she thought she had a genuine trick in me. Well, today would be the day of enlightenment for her. My attire was immaculate. A cold black silk mohair suit with white on white, long collared dress shirt and pure silk midnight black tie. I slipped my jewelry on and stared in the mirror. A man's face stared back at me now, not the features of a boy. Golden complexion, not one gained by lying in the sun but one of nature's gifts, topped off with cold black eyes and jet black hair. A mischievous smile came to my lips but not to my eyes when I thought about the game getting ready to go off. Ruby's pimp didn't know it, but he was getting ready to be played right out of a good whore. But weren't you just making fun of Ruby, like last chapter? Oh, okay. When I slowed my car down at the corner of Hancock, she was standing right on the corner, waiting impatiently. I didn't mean to inconvenience you, Ruby, I said when she got in the car, but I had one hell of a party last night and I just couldn't get up. She was studying me closely. That's all right, Billy, she said. It had been over three weeks since I had met her, and she still hadn't found out what my real name was. Well, today will be the end of all that. Before tomorrow this time, she would have a new outlook on life. And also a new program to work out of. All that damn fat she was carrying around wouldn't be on her a month from now either, I thought ruthlessly. I put her at wearing a size 16 dress, and that was giving her the benefit of the doubt. Our short journey quickly came to an end as I drove out to the car dealer's lot. It didn't take long to complete our transaction. When I paid the dealer the rest of his money, Ruby's eyes almost popped up at the side of my large roll. One of the porters drove my new caddy up, powder blue with a white convertible top and sky blue upholstery. 
Whatever doubts she may have harbored in the back of her mind were gone as we settled back against the luxurious seats on our way downtown. Billy, this really is a beautiful car, she said for the tenth time as we drove slowly on, accompanied by the murmur of soft music. I parked in front of Detroit's finest furrier. As I entered the store, Ruby was right on my heels, staring around in fascination. Up until this moment, I don't think she ever really believed I was going to buy her a coat, let alone a fur. I sat back in a large soft chair while she tried on a dozen different furs. At last, she found a mink stole she liked and brought it over for me to look at. I nodded in agreement and stood up. Will this be enough to put it in your layaway? I asked the sales lady, removing three $100 bills from my pocket. The saleswoman took the money and made out a slip for me. When we left the store, Ruby's eyes were shining and she had a tight grip on my arm. She had been played on just that quick. My next stop was my motel. She took her clothes off quickly while I stared at the abundance of fat hanging from her sides. Her belly protruded grotesquely. I made love to her slowly, indifferently. Her obesity had killed any desire I had. Now it was a matter of satisfying her. She moaned and groaned under me until I felt her reach her climax. Then I pretended to reach mine. Hastily, I rolled over on my side of the bed. You know what I want you to do now, don't you, Ruby? What do you want me to do, Billy? She asked innocently. For one moment, I was about to send her on her way and forget about playing on her. But I needed a whore. And since I started to play on her, I decided to see it on out. Take this money and go back to your apartment and get your clothes. I need a whore now not a girlfriend. She stared at me in surprise. It seemed for a minute that she wouldn't go for it, but her greed got the better of her. She stared at the big roll lying on the dresser and at the five dollar bill I pulled off it. Sure, Billy, she said and started to get dressed. I won't be long. You'll be here when I get back, won't you? I didn't bother to answer. I just lit a cigarette and watched her squirm as she tried to wiggle all that fat into her tight dress. It was a sight to behold, and I watched her curiously, wondering if she would make it or not. After she left, I waited five minutes, then rushed back downtown and got a refund from the furrier. The saleswoman didn't like it. In fact, she called the manager. But after fat-mouthing for a while, he returned my money. I drove back to the motel thoughtfully. It was going just like I planned, except I hadn't realized she was that fat. Well... There was one remedy for that. She would just have to lose the actual weight, and I was going to see that she lost it damn fast. When Ruby returned carrying her suitcases, I was ready for her. Oh, Billy, she said. You should have heard my ex-pimp yell when I started to pack my bags. He swore he couldn't live without me. I stared at her coldly. He should have done more than just run his mouth, I said harshly. My words only amused her. Shit, she said fiercely. If that nigga tried to do something to me, you'd have to call an ambulance for him. Her attitude towards her last pimp was no news to me. It was common knowledge up on the track that her pimp had been scared of her. She had a reputation for being quick and good with a knife and she had been known to cut a few people of both sexes. But you don't have to worry about nothing, Billy. Honey, I like you. And I know with all that money you got, we ain't gonna have no problem at all getting along. I waited until she had finished speaking before coming out the bed in one smooth motion. The way a man started off pimping a whore was generally the way he ended up. If you didn't make a whore realize that you were the man, she'd end up in the driver's seat, while you'd be more of a bitch in her eye than a man. My fist landed upside her head in one solid thump. She fell against the dresser, then slid to the floor cursing. You son of a bitch, don't no bastard hit me like that. She came up off the floor, eyes blazing. When she made her move, it wasn't fast. It was unchained lightning. Her hand dipped down inside her bra in a blur of motion. Before I could move, she had popped the button and a long blade shot out the end of her knife. For a woman her size, she moved with blinding speed. She came in towards me, not in a stabbing stance, but with the knife held low so she can gut me with one vicious swing. Without hesitating, she stepped in and swung the blade upward. It was the moment I had been waiting for. I turned sideways and chopped down with the side of my hand, catching her wrist with a solid blow. The knife fell to the floor, and before she could stoop to reach it, 
I slammed a brutal combination of blows to her head. I have to give credit where it's due. She didn't go down. She hit the wall and came right back at me with her nails. She was swinging her arms like a windmill. I went under her wild swings and stuck a left and a right to her stomach as hard as I could. She folded up like a big bag. Grabbing her hair, I pulled her to me. With slow deliberation, I ripped her dress off. When she was down to her panties and bra, I grabbed the front of the bra and snatched her so hard that it popped loose in the back. Tossed her on the bed, I began to pull her panties down around her legs. When she raised up, I backhanded her in the mouth. When I got her pants off one leg, she opened her legs wide and stared up at me. Her eyes were full of scorn as she coldly revealed herself to me. But I had one hell of a surprise for her. Cunt was the last thing on my mind. I moved to the head of the bed and reached under the pillow. When my hand came out, it was holding my pimp sticks. Two coat hangers twisted together. She lay as though paralyzed, her eyes getting big with fear. Bitch, I stated coldly, there's a few things you got to know and you got to learn. The first one is that my name ain't Billy. It's Horson, if that means anything to you. The second thing you should know, bitch, is that you can't teach me nothing about pimping, whore. I was born a pimp. Now, we'll start with the things you got to learn, and first on the program is respect. A good whore always has respect for her man, and you definitely gonna be a good whore. Before the words were out of my mouth, I lit into her with the coat hangers. Her screams fell on deaf ears as I continued to beat her. She fell off the bed and tried to squirm under it. I grabbed her leg and pulled her out to the middle of the floor and continued to beat her. When I got tired, I took her in the bathroom and made her take a bath, then snatched her out the tub and beat her again. I beat her until her voice became hoarse, then tossed her on the bed and stuck my jones in her big wide butt. Later that same evening, I took her down on the track. When I started standing in the doorway talking to two other girls, I walked over and knocked her down. She stared at me from the ground. There was a stark fear in her eye, and when I saw that, I knew half my battle was won. Now all I had to do was stop her from stabbing me while I slept. This problem I went to work on at once. I ran down to the pill man and bought out his supply of beans. I made her stand in the corner and work for three days and three nights without a drop of sleep. I kept her full of beans and black coffee. The morning I pulled her up and took her home to sleep, she was out on her feet. She walked into the side of the motel, mistaking her from the door. I kept Ruby going at this pace for one month. In that time, she came down from a size 16 to a size 12. When I saw her with her clothes off now, there was nothing repulsive about the sight. She had always been tall. Now she was graceful, too. Her skin was smooth, and her face had always been cute. Now, with the loss of her double chin, she had turned to an attractive young woman. I still took her up on the school ground some mornings to make her run until she became exhausted. Whether or not she disliked the treatment I put her through, she was proud of her end results. I constantly caught her looking in the mirror, smiling at herself. We sat in the motel sipping wine. You know, Horison, if you didn't get mad so quick and beat me so hard, I'd really like you. She rushed on before I could speak. I mean, I like you now, honey. But if you just wouldn't fight me so much, I'd be so happy. I ain't never had no man like you before, and it just takes a little time for me to get used to your ways. I stared at her coldly. Bitch, if I treat you any different, you'd end up trying to put shit on me. This way, whore, you know if I catch you putting your little funky game on me, you know without a shadow of a doubt I'll break both your legs. She tried to fight back the sleep that was tugging at her. Her head dropped down on her chest, but she jerked it up. You know, Horson, she said in a drowsy voice, if you were a little kinder, a whole lot of the women on the corner would choose you. She added, they see how hard you work me, and it scares them, because don't nobody's pimp work them the way you work me. Ruby, stand up and take off all your clothes. She jumped at my command as though I had kicked her. Her eyes got large she stood up hesitantly. Her voice shook with fear. Horson, I didn't mean no harm, she said, pulling off her clothes. Her hands trembled as she pushed her panties down and stepped out of them. I beckoned to her. Come on over here. I ran my hands over her smooth body. There were still a few flabby spots, but on the whole, she was becoming one beautiful brown-skinned girl. 
Quit all that shaking, Ruby, I said softly as my hands traveled up and down her body. She was trembling like a frightened doe. Under my smooth caresses, she slowly quieted down. I pulled her onto my lap. Gently, I ran my fingers in and out between her legs. She emitted a low moan and lay back against me. I picked her up in my arms and carried her over to the mirror and stood her up. What you see in the mirror, bitch, I said it coldly, is my creation. Not something you did for yourself, but what I had to force you to do for yourself, I continued. So from now on, when some bitch comes up to you and begins crying on your shoulder about how hard I work you, you laugh in her face, bitch, because I ain't did nothing that didn't need doing. I wasn't complaining, Horson. My sarcastic laughter rang out in the small confines of the room. I know you wasn't, Ruby. You was just building up to trying to think, trying to get around what I told you. You don't think, woman. I do your thinking for you. Because whenever you try, something's bound to end up getting fucked up. Now ain't that right? She grinned at me shyly, then nodded her head in agreement. Whatever you say, daddy. You know I'll do whatever you want me to. With a smooth motion, I stood up and picked her up in my arms. Her new body went tense in my embrace as I carried her over to the bed and laid her down. With slow deliberation, I ran my tongue up and down her golden brown body. I could feel her muscles tighten unconsciously as I began gently to make love to her. The more elaborate pains I took, the more excited she became. Soon, Ruby was moaning and she began to feel thrills I had never taken the time to arouse in her. Chapter 21 The street was still wet from the early evening rain. I watched the people scurrying around downtown. Some rushing to catch late buses, some just rushing home, hoping to get inside before it rained again. I parked in front of an Fay bar and wondered if it would be interracial. Quite a few pimps from my side of town were coming downtown, cruising around the bars and copping white prostitutes that they wouldn't have gotten next to before the bars integrated. Actually, I wasn't looking for a white girl to cop. What I wanted was for a white whore to hit on me to spend some money with her. That way, I'd have a chance to Georgia her out of some cock. I had two envelopes in my pocket, one a dummy, the other empty. If her man hadn't tightened her game up for her, she would be an easy mark to switch envelopes on. The Devil's Den was the name of the bar I finally decided to enter. It was dark inside, so I stood at the bottom of the stairs until my eyes became accustomed to the darkness. The bar curved like a half moon, with a tiny stage set right off from it. I walked to the end of the bar so as to get away from the blurring noise the mixed group was playing. Apparently, the musicians thought the louder they played, the better it sounded. I took the very last stool at the end of the bar. I glanced around casually. The club was semi-crowded. Most of the customers were coupled off. The only single people at the bar were males. Before I could get up and leave, a woman stopped beside me and asked me for my order. I ran my eyes up and down her body until she started blushing. She must have been all of 40 years old, a little under 5 feet 4, a little over 120, with a body that God had built for one purpose, one purpose only, encasing the form-fitting knit dress. Her heart-shaped face with carmine mouth and huge black eyes were topped with jet black hair parted at the side, hanging long over her shoulders. Even though she was getting old, she still looked like a movie queen to me. As I stared at her, I knew this one white lady I was going to stick the golden rod in. Soon. May I take your order, please? She asked, still blushing. Do you always turn that pretty pink when you wait on the customer? I asked politely. Well, she stated frankly, I'm used to men looking at me, but for some reason, you have a very disconcerting stare, young man. I hadn't meant for it to be disconcerting, miss, but when I saw you, I wondered if in this lifetime I would ever be allowed to pluck the fruit from a woman in the autumn of her years as beautiful as you are. Her eyes lit up. Before she could lower her glance, I saw the hunger in him. She wanted a young man, and I meant to find out just how much love in her capacity could stand. When she brought me back my drink, I held her hand longer than necessary. She blushed again, then looked around to see if it was noticeable. When I turned her loose... She went to the end of the bar, right up under the band, to get away from me. Several times I caught her looking back down the bar at me. Two could play that game as well as one. 
When I finished my drink, I got up and left. I knew there wouldn't be any chance of ripping her off tonight, but it would go down anyway. I was willing to bet cash money on it. After the loud music in the bar, I really didn't want any more noise. I found the station playing soft music and left it on as I drove through the downtown district. I turned off of Woodward and drove over to Hastings. It was like entering another world. The crowded streets, whores working on each corner, drunks staggering up and down the streets, filth and poverty staring you in the face no matter where you looked. Once I loved this neighborhood, now I only tolerated it as a means to an end. One day, I would drive away and never look back. At the moment, I didn't know how, but I knew that one day I would. I pulled up and parked in front of the trick house Ruby worked out of. Two girls standing in the doorway stared at me coldly. I didn't give a fuck about what they thought about me. To me, they were just something to be used. I walked past them without a glance and went up the stairs. The houseman opened the door and let me in. The dining room was full of people. A card game was going on in the dining room table. Ruby, with her back to me, was pulling a white trick's arm, trying to pull him away from the gambling and take him into the bedroom. The car dealer snarled at her. Bitch, I done told you to leave that man alone. Don't you see he's playing blackjack? There was something familiar about his voice. I stepped up to Ruby and put my hand on her shoulder and stared at the dealer. It was New York. After all these years, here was New York in the trick house in Detroit. There seemed to be a change about him, and as I stared at him, it hit me. His clothes. Before, he had been immaculate in his dress. Now there was a difference. Not too noticeable, but it was still there. As I stared, I noticed tiny dark spots on his gold high-low shirt. Blood. Well, if it isn't horsing. Fatima, baby. He spoke slowly with a slur in his voice. You see who I see, girl? Grown tall as a tree. Man, you done came right on up there, ain't you? Immediately after he spoke, I noticed Fatima standing beside him. If he hadn't called her name, I don't think I would have recognized her. Damn, I thought sourly. Six years of horn couldn't have done all that to her. She looked like a bag of bones stuck down inside a dress. Her hair was dry, while her skin had a dead color to it. As I examined her closer, I could see sores on her arms. When she looked at me, she barely opened her eyes. There was the same revealing stains on her dress. Blood spots. It dawned on me all at once. Both of them were dope fiends. Junkies. I stepped in front of Ruby. I see you still got the same habit. Tell another pimp's horse what to do. Oh, so you a pimp now, huh? He said sarcastically. Well, I sure in the fuck ain't no dope fiend, I replied coldly. His eyes narrowed and he shuffled the cards quickly. I removed my large bankroll and pulled off a $10 bill. His hungry eyes followed the roll. I held the bill out to Ruby. Go get us both a drink, baby. She took the money from me and walked back to the kitchen. I edged over to the card table. I watched New York as he dealt the cards around to the black and white tricks. When the player in front of him asked for a hit, he pulled seconds from the deck. I knew then that the cards were marked. Why don't you take a hand, Horson? Give me a chance to win some of that good whore money you're so proud of, he sneered. Some of the prostitutes in the room looked at him oddly. It was seldom that a pimp got in the game that was already rigged to rip off the tricks unless he was a fool. I stared at the pile of money in front of New York. He had over $200 in the bank. He hit his hand and turned up 21. The other players cursed and tossed their hands onto the table. I saw an ace in the discarded hands, so I reached over and began to shuffle the deck. The cards were a new bicycle deck with the fan on the back and somebody had taken a red pencil and darkened certain lines on the fan. You could see the mark all the way across the table, but you had to know what you were looking for. When I sat the deck in front of New York, I swung out with the ace and three other cards. While he reshuffled the deck, I palmed the four cards. When he set the deck down for me to cut, I reached over and split the deck in half. I sat the four cards on top. 
The top card was an ace. The second was a face card. The third was another face card. And the fourth was an eight. I removed my bankroll and knocked on the table. Deal me all that money in the bank. Just four cards, New York. You and me, big time. He spotted the ace on top and grinned. Okay, baby boy. Just four cards between you and me, he said, dealing the second card off the top of the deck. All the girls who didn't have customers crowded around the table, watching the game silently. New York tried to get the most out of the moment. Seems as if I'm always teaching you something new, boy. This time, I'm going to teach you never to buck a hustler's game. His lips turned down to sneer. Ruby set my drink in front of me, then stepped back from the table. Soon as he finished dealing, I reached over and turned up my hand without bothering to look at my cards. You got 19, boss game, I said harshly. Are you hitting it or sticking? A look of surprise came into his eyes and his expression changed. I'm paying 20, he said slowly. Before he could move, I reached over and picked up the money in front of him. Well, that's what I got, slick daddy, I said and stepped back from the table. My card was still face down on the table. He reached over and snatched them up. Then slowly it began to dawn on him that he had been played on. You never even looked at him, he stated. I ain't going for no shit like that, Horson, from you or any other motherfucker. Before I could reach him, he kicked over his chair and snatched up Fatima's pocketbook from the end of the table. His hand darted inside the half-open purse. As fast as he had moved, Ruby had moved faster. Her voice was chilling in the suddenly silent room. Should I stick him, Daddy? Should I stick him? There was no doubt in anybody's mind about whether or not she would stab him. They were both frozen in position. New York, with his hand half in and half out of the purse. Ruby, one step behind with her large switchblade pushed to the side of his neck. As I watched in fascination, she pushed the knife deeper into his throat. A small stream of blood began to trickle down his neck. He stared up at me with his eyes pleading. Push that purse over here, I growled. He complied. I removed a snub-nosed 38 police special from the pocketbook, then stepped up and cracked him in the head with the handle. He fell out of the chair onto the floor. His face was full of fear as I walked up to him. Nigga, I said, I ain't gonna do nothing to you. For the simple reason that ain't nothing I could do to you as bad as what you're doing to yourself. All I want you to do is make sure that whenever, wherever, you happen to see me and my woman, you put some distance between us. As I stood there, staring down on him, the years flashed back and the humiliation of what he had done to me filled my soul with shame. You might get the impression that I don't mean what I'm saying, New York. So this is just to give you the message. Before he could move, I grabbed him by his collar and began to pistol whip him about the head. When I released him, he slipped back to the floor unconscious, his head and face covered with blood. Everybody in the room was staring at me in shock. It had been a brutal act, but I wasn't ashamed. He would have shot me if it hadn't been for my woman. Come on, Ruby, I said and started for the door. I had the door open when Fatima caught up with us. Horson. She said, take me with you, please. I'll do whatever you want me to do, please, and I'll work hard. Just let me go with you. Her pleading didn't move me at all, because I didn't give a fuck about her. But the thought of slick-ass New York waking up and finding out I'd taken his whore too was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. I nodded and she solemnly fell in behind us and followed me out to our waiting Cadillac. It had taken more than seven years before the chance presented itself for me to strike back in New York. But as they say, what goes around comes around and goddamn, I felt good after getting the chance to play payback. And after glancing out the side of my eye and seeing Fatima sitting so unconcerned against the car door, I had an idea I was going to feel a lot better after I fixed this dirty bitch's wagon. I saw the bean man walking down the street so I blew at him and parked. When he got to the car window, I bought all the pills he had on him, Red Devils and Seccos, and a few Dexies. Next, I stopped on Canfield and sent Ruby in to buy me a can of reefer. While she was in the house, I sent Fatima to the drugstore to purchase two fits of Johnny Walker Red. I watched her wave to somebody across the street, 
Then Benny, the dope pusher, crossed over and followed her into the store. The bitch was getting a fix to take with her. Well, she was sure in the hell needed before I was finished with her this day. Fatima beat Ruby back to the car. When she got in, I said, Bitch, get your ass in the back seat next to a window and keep that dope you bought in your hand. If the police break down on us, I want you to eat that shit or throw it away before they stop us. In the ghetto, any black man or woman driving a Cadillac is fair game for every policeman with a badge in his pocket. Tickets were the least of your worries. What you had to do was make sure they didn't catch you dirty. Sometimes they would stop you on just GP or give you a bullshit ticket just so they could try and tear up your car on the pretext to search for drugs. I had a speeding ticket in my glove compartment that I had received while sitting in front of the trick house waiting for Ruby to finish with a trick. Ruby came out of the building and ran down the stairs. She jumped in the front seat and put the window halfway down. I started the car and pulled out in the traffic. I looked up and down the street closely for any police cars. If one hopped out behind me, he would have one hell of a race before he caught me because I wouldn't stop until I gave the women time to clean up. We made it to the motel without any difficulty, and everybody relaxed. An hour later, with one-fifth of whiskey gone, we started getting down to the nitty-gritty. Both women had removed all their clothes while I was down to just my pants. My jewelry and bankroll were lying on the dresser besides what was left of the reefer. I staggered up from the bed and walked over to the dresser to roll another joint. In the dresser mirror, I saw Fatima run her hand up and down Ruby's body intimately. Ruby didn't seem embarrassed by the caress. I didn't allow my expression to change when I walked back over to the bed. Fatima snatched her hand back at my approach. You didn't have to stop because of me, bitch. You didn't store one horror for me. You might as well try for two. She started to make some sort of excuse, but I reached for her and she squirmed away and fell on the floor. As I started towards her, she rolled up in a ball with her arms around her head. I slowly opened up my fly and pulled out my Jones. Before she knew what I was doing, I had a steady stream of piss going and splattered her head and arms. She rolled away quickly, and when I tried to hold her steady with my foot, I pissed all down my pants leg. Bitch! I screamed. You done made me pee all down my pants leg. She jumped up and ran for the bathroom. I tried to piss on her as she went by, but missed her and peed on my watch and bankroll on top of the dresser. I stared angrily at Ruby. She was sitting up in bed laughing so hard the tears ran down her cheeks. Bitch, I said drunkenly. I don't see a goddamn thing funny about me pissing on myself. I wasn't laughing at you, Horson, Ruby said, lying through her teeth, then started laughing again. You don't think you messed your watch up, do you? Hell no, I stated and walked over to the dresser and picked up my watch. I wiped it off of my pants, endeavoring to look stern. Suddenly, the mood hit me and I started laughing. Maybe it was the weed. Whatever it was, I fell on the bed and Ruby and I laughed like two fools. The sound of the shower came to us, and a little later, Fatima peeped out the door. Come on out, girl. I ain't gonna do nothing to you, I said slowly. She came out and stared at me angrily. You ain't had no reason to do that to me, Horson. Shut up, bitch, I said. Here, catch. I removed a $10 bill from my roll and tossed it towards her. Take that, bitch, and let the door hit you in the ass. I don't need you, don't want you, and wouldn't have you, so get the fuck out of here. That kind of took her by surprise. The angry look disappeared. Horson, wait a minute, Daddy, and let me talk to you. I know you was mad because I left you, but we should be even now. She continued before I could interrupt. And if you worried about me using, I'll kick if you want me to. I sat up in bed. Listen, Fatima, because you use stuff don't mean a thing to me. I wouldn't have you no kind of way. Don't no bitch ever leave me and then come back thinking I'm going to take her back. The truth of the matter is, I don't need you. For what? You ain't got nothing. All you do is bring me grief and that I don't need. Take the money, baby, and buy yourself a trip to cloud nine. Then I added, When you go out the door, woman, close it easy, please. You dirty son of a bitch, you. She yelled and ran out the door, leaving it wide open. Them other books I was reading, they were 
They learned from this. And as the timeline continued and as the, the tree that, that, that Donald Goings and Iceberg Slim sprouted, planted, began to sprout, the, the, the branches grew further and further from the actual base of the tree until it was nothing like it used to be. This is what urban fiction used to be. Hard ass, gritty ass, no fucks given, just ratchet bullshit. Real shit. And it's hard. And a lot of it hurts to read. But I wouldn't have it any other way because this is history. All that other shit that I'm going to read, all that shit that y'all are laughing at, all that shit that y'all are loving, none of that happens without this right here. Plus, when I read this book and books like this, it makes me want to talk like a pimp. I talk faster. My shit starts rhyming. I got good timing. I start thinking about criming. I don't call women whores, though. Sex workers are still, that sex workers still work. I don't give a fuck. If you don't like that, then you out of luck. You can get the fuck out of my face, though. Because I'll clown your ass like a $2 hoe. See? Pimp shit. I can do it. I got it in me. I don't need no fucking Cadillac. Me and my Corolla. Rolling down the street. Looking for somebody. Getting something to eat. Yeah, see? I got it. Because if a Mac call me back, you better know I ain't going to give him no flack, Jack. We get down for ours where I'm from. From the highway to the slum, you know where I'm from. Let the guitar strum. I don't know. I'm running out of pimp power. I'm going to have to read a few more chapters tomorrow. Make your next move your best move, though. Leave a review. Podchaser. Apple Podcasts. Uh, Stitcher. I don't give a fuck. If you go to Podchaser, though, you can leave a review for ep for separate episodes or for the show overall. Um... You can also join our Patreon uh, at patreon.com backslash single simulcast. Uh, or you could just help me buy some more books. Because shit ain't cheap. Just because y'all niggas don't read don't mean that the market dried the fuck up. So you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash sscast and donate some money there. Also, 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 if you go to the link tree, which is the link to that's underneath all the posts on Twitter, but it's also in the uh, show notes. If you click the link to buy this book, I get paid. So that's the same as you donating money to help me buy books by buying this book. So then y'all can read along. I'm going to tell you though, this book's almost done. Um, I started off at zero. That was chapter 21. See that pen rhyme right there? I'm starting to get it back. Now I'm all the way at chapter 22. Shit, ain't much more for a nigga like me to do. <laughs> Honestly, there is, I'm on page 229, there's 297 pages. This book ain't gonna make it that much longer. Just gotta love it for what it is, you know? It's, it's gritty, and it's, it says stuff that, you know, you ain't never gonna believe in right now, but the game has changed. Yeah, I'm going to be real with you. Reading about him and how he completely broke Ruby down and how he beat her and how he looked at her just disprovingly because of her weight, everything about that chapter was utterly distasteful. In a book of distasteful shit, that was probably the worst one I've seen thus far. But that's the game. I don't want to be a pimp. I just want to read about him. And this is the closest thing I'm going to get to it. Donald Goins ain't never apologized for shit he did because he meant every word of it. And like my wife said, this shit is way too real. All them rappers y'all listen to on the West Coast, I bet you, I bet you, too short read Donald Goins. I bet you. All them niggas that are writing raps about the pimp game, Came from this. All them folks writing books that I'm going to read in the Ratchet Book Club. It came from this. And he got it from Iceberg. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy to read. 
but it's still a hood classic. Thank y'all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. I'm going to holler at y'all later. Y'all be good. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. You don't know my name, did you say?